Hi, welcome to Life Camera Author. I'm Jim Juno. At just 21 years old, Crystal Harris' life changed forever when she attended a party at the notorious Playboy Mansion. Picked out by the crowd by Hugh Hefner himself, she became one of his infamous girlfriends, attending glamorous Hollywood parties and traveling the world. Yet this seemingly alluring lifestyle had a dark side. Her new book, Only Say Good Things, Surviving Playboy, and Finding Myself, Crystal Hefner joins us now on Light Camera Author. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for being here. Now, you know, I've talked to people, I've talked to other women uh, models who uh, became Playboy Playmates, and your story is, uh, I've heard similar um, comments that they, they all wanted to be a Playboy Playmate. They all wanted to be part of the crowd around Hugh Hefner, mm -hmm. and and in your book, your new book, it was a Halloween party, I believe, when you were 21 years old. And, I mean, it was. It seemed like a, a really dream come true, didn't it, at first? Yeah, totally. At first, it, it seemed that way. Uh, you hear about Playboy. It just seemed like this exciting place to um, try, to go, try and go to a party at. Um, and then from there to be a part of. So, uh, yeah, I became part of the world. And it was very intriguing and alluring. And Hef himself was t completely magnetic. Uh, yes, he didn't. He, he did not have to go around like in a windowless van and pick up women off the street. I mean, they, they yeah. flocked to him, didn't they? Yeah. And, of course, I mean, you didn't expect... Of course, you didn't expect what eventually happened to happen to me. You were you were in the crowd next to your friend, and it was a Halloween party. And suddenly, Hugh Hefner looked at you and pointed to you and signaled to come come next to him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it was it was surreal because when he kind of pointed and looked over, I looked behind me because so I'm like, it can't be me. I had a severe case of imposter syndrome, but it was me, and he did invite me in. Uh, to his cabana where he was sitting. I see, and that's kind of that's got to have been thrilling at first. I'm always I'm always going to clarify by saying it was thrilling at first. Yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In your book, I mean, you find out very quickly that Hugh Hefner. Uh, let's face it; he wanted he was in total control, wasn't he? He wanted to be in total control. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely the king of his castle and he was in control and he had so many guest people around him and so much staff and he was definitely in charge. Let me ask you this, uh, and it's again, I've heard this comment also from people who have been in the inner circle. It was a cutthroat competition among the women, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um he pitted us against each other and it was just kind of a competition for his attention and affection and to be like the most special and closest to him. And, you know, he, um, he basically said, you know, dictated the way you looked, dictated where you went, dictated even how much money you got per week. Um, yes. You know, and I'm not going to play devil's advocate here because, because, um, I I read your book and it it really is it really was enlightening. 
Hefner always seemed to me to be somebody who was stuck in the 50s or 60s when it came to women. You Interesting. know, when, In what way? well, like, see, like say the, Looks. for example, the, uh, let's take the TV show. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Mad Men. Ah, yeah. Okay, well, their attitudes toward women in that show, uh, where women were objects more than more than people. Yeah, absolutely. I think he grew up in kind of times that were outdated and perpetuated that with us. Yeah. You know, in your book, you write about um, he paid you an allowance. Now it was a thousand dollars a week, which which um, is not chicken feed. But still, I mean that's that's kind of a that that struck me as odd. Yeah, yeah. The I think the most odd part of it was that we kind of had to ask him for it every Friday. We had to go in there and it just felt like I had to like beg Hef for, for money and he would take the envelope out of the locked cabinet and count it out like 100, 200, 300. Here you go. And it would just, the ritual of that was really awkward. It's it almost <laughs> sounds humiliating. yeah, yeah. It, it did feel demoralizing and humiliating for sure. Yeah, and um, I gotta ask you this: um, if you did something that displeased him, would he like take money away for that week, or? No, he he didn't, but I would always feel uncomfortable asking him that week if if it was a weird week or something. <laughs> I can imagine, and at and at one point, you. Uh, You know, you were twenty-one years old. Um, of course, you weren't a teenager. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that. But at twenty-one years old, you're not. People are not fully. Not just women. Men too are not fully developed mentally, emotionally, at twenty-one Yeah. years old. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was 21, I, I felt like, oh, I'm a grown up and I'm an adult. But now at 37, thinking back at, of myself at 21, like I was a baby. I was I was just too young. And I think the young ones are easier to uh, manipulate. And maybe that, that's why I have like this. <laughs> you um you uh, said you had to play mind games to survive. Can Yeah. you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess you had to. Uh, you couldn't really be friends with the other girls. It was always the competition. And, you know, you kind of had to be Hef's mirror, like reflecting his self-importance, like back at him. You know, he was a narcissistic guy. Like he did help the world in so many positive ways, but he was also narcissistic and misogynistic. So because he was like that, you had to constantly just keep talking about him and making sure he was the center of attention and number one important person. And So it was hard. It was it it was like games for sure. Yeah, you were you had to feed his ego. Yes, yes, exactly. And that never did that never did change throughout his throughout the time that you knew him. I mean, you were married to him. You were his third and final wife. You are you were you're his widow. Um, he never changed his attitude toward women at all, did he? No, no. I'd like to think he learned some lessons before he died, but maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> I think he can't teach an old dog new tricks. Comes to mind. You know, and um, you also um, you also reveal in your book that the Playboy Mansion isn't all that cracked up to be. I mean, you had a you had black mold, Yeah, and yeah, we we ended up finding black mold and like fungus growing in the vents. It was gross. yeah, I mean, and I just I hazard to think what was going on in the grotto during the parties.
I know. I think it had like some type of Legionnaire's disease or some kind of weird thing at some point in there. It's so gross. It needed to be <laughs> needed to be totally cleaned out. Before you married Hef, um, uh, Hugh Hefner, he was a you were of course his girlfriend. Um, you tried to leave, didn't you? At one point. Yeah, I did. Um, we had gotten in a little bit of an argument, like our first argument. Uh, we were going to film a uh, show for Lifetime. It was a two-hour special called Marrying Hef. And I found out that Hef was getting paid like $800,000. And he gave me some paperwork that had a talent fee of $2,500. And um, it just didn't feel fair. And I felt a little bit taken advantage of. Yeah, because I had never asked him really for anything. And we got in a little argument. And I tried to leave and security didn't open the back gate. <laughs> so <laughs> I was kind of trapped. And so I, I stayed. Yes. You told him that you had to buy, you had to buy uh, some feminine hygiene products. Yeah. Time. Yeah. That's <laughs> how I, I eventually got out. When you did get out and you came back, was there any reper uh, repercussions to it? I think I was finally like treated better with a little bit more respect, knowing that, you know, okay, she could, she could actually leave. I think I was treated a little bit more respectfully when I got back. Now, for those of you out there who, who watched TV, I guess during the uh, early parts of the, tw of the 2000s, you were one of the stars of the girls next door uh, with, yes. uh, with, um, Oh, gosh. Let's see. Oh, I was on there with the twins, Christina the twin. and Carissa Shannon. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, and um, how did that tell me about that? How that came came about? Um, We were just told that we were going to be put on the show, The Girls Next Door. And we didn't get paid anything for that one. Hef made 400000 an episode and we got paid nothing. And I was just had this. I don't know. Maybe this it was fed to me that I this mentality of I should just be. I should just be grateful I'm here and not worry about getting paid or anything. That sounds illegal. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, I mean that that I mean that's almost like it's max of slavery, you know? <laughs> Where yeah. it's like go on TV, but you're not and you're the stars, but you're not you got you girls aren't being paid anything. And, and yeah. Uh, you know, I guess the logic that correct me if I'm wrong, was the logic that he used was, hey, you're in you're in the Playboy circle. You're in the Playboy mansion. Yeah, like everyone would want to be here. You know, we should be grateful. See, that's, you know, but that's, that only goes so far, I believe. I know. So you strange. Know, <laughs> you, uh, you also write you were, you were afraid of catching some, catching a sexual uh, transmitted disease from Hefner, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, because you know he didn't use protection and slept with multiple people. It, it's it's awkward. Did he ever force you to do anything that you really, really didn't want to do? Um, no, not entirely. I guess I was just up doing everything that he asked. And that's because you were young and you know didn't know didn't you were like you know in your early twenties. Yeah, you didn't know any better. Super impressionable, and and I think, you know the. Judgment in your brain doesn't even fully develop until you're about, you know, 28 or late 20s. So, yeah, you just don't really know then. The animals, you make it, you also write about the animals in the in the Playboy Mansion. I felt sorry for the birds who uh, who died of thirst. I mean, that's... I know. You know I know. Nobody ever cared for these animals at all? 
I know people ask me, they're like, why didn't you do anything about it? But I didn't know, you know, the, the bedroom got open to be cleaned and people ran in and I just assumed they were taking care of the birds. And I, I just didn't know. Um, and I think they just didn't pay attention to the fact that the water feeder was stuck and the birds, the little ball on the end of the water was stuck. And um, they were just replacing these birds one after another. And yeah, it's heartbreaking. Is that now just recently, very recently, you became a spokesmodel for PETA? Yeah, I love PETA. It's they're so they're such a great organization. I was going to ask you, did the did your experience with the animals at the Playboy Mansion shape your viewpoints when working with PETA? Yeah, I think they really um, it really inspired me. You know, like I, after a while I felt caged there and then all the animals were caged and sad. So yeah, I want every person and every animal to feel free. Let me ask you this. When you were, um, when you thought, well, when, um, Hugh Hefner finally passed away at, I believe in 2017, you know, uh, it was, was it hard coming to grips with that at first? Yeah, at first I was sad and I felt guilty thinking like, oh, is there anything I could have done differently? And, you know, I, I was very sad. Um, I don't handle loss well. You know, I don't think a lot of people do, but um, yeah, it, it, it took, it was really hard, but it, it took about five years in therapy to just realize, you know, maybe things were a lot harder there than I, than I thought they were. That's when did you, when did you finally uh, can you do you have a pinpoint time when you finally said it wasn't me? It it was the surroundings and Hefner himself. I think when I started learning about boundaries and misogyny and narcissism, mm -hmm. and it was just this perfect storm there. And you know now I now I have true freedom. While I was in there, you know, Playboy is supposed to be seen as this place of freedom and, fr you know, freedom of expression. And for me, it felt the opposite. Like I felt, I felt trapped and, um, I didn't necessarily realize all of that until, until later. And I remember when Hef would do interviews and I would listen in and one of his famous quotes he would say was, uh, life's too short to be living someone else's dream. And he would say that all the time. And now I, you know, I finally realized I was living someone else's dream and now I'm not. And now I finally have real freedom. You know, and also um, when I was doing some research, it struck me that after, you know, after uh, Hefner died and you did, you went on a couple of like an interview tour with, and with Howard Stern and Chelsea Handler. And it struck me that it, all of a sudden it became victim shaming to me. Really? To, yeah, because when I was when uh, when Chelsea Handler especially was like, just sounds like she was making fun at your at your expense. Yeah, yeah, she was, and I mean, I'm surprised she hasn't got canceled because she is kind of rude to people, <laughs> but. Yeah, she was, and I was the I was a low hanging fruit, right? Like I was I was an easy target, so. People took the took the easy way. <laughs> after after uh, Hefner, um, I believe you did you did you date Doctor Phil's son? Is that is that am I correct in yes recalling that? And you thought that was you know you thought that that was real love, but uh, then they then you actually heard them talking about you. 
Yeah, yeah. We were at the Viper Room and Jordan was auditioning for singers and uh, Dr. Phil walks in and sees Jordan and I sitting in a booth and he said, oh, look at this. You know, my son's bagged himself a playmate. <laughs> Objectification. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. I'm like, this is Dr. Phil. He's supposed to be helping the world and it's just awkward. I can imagine. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like you think you found somebody who really cares about you for yourself, but then all of a sudden now it's just... Everybody sees you as a Playboy Playmate of the Month or a Playboy Bunny, which which people are much more than that. Not just you, but you know, all the people are who appear in Playboy are much more than that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people can't. You think a lot of people can't get by that? Yeah. You know, and and your book has gotten. Um, I'm hoping I use the right word. It's gotten support from the Playboy organization. And I believe Kendra Wilkinson, also one of, one of the former girlfriends of Hugh Hefner, they've all come out and supported your book, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, they have, which, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe their stories and I support and respect them. So, yeah, I really appreciate that. Had you heard anything about anything like that before, before getting involved? Um. I remember being at the mansion and Holly's book came out while I was still at the mansion. And I just thought, oh my gosh, how dare she speak out against Hef? And it's very interesting because now my perspective has shifted and like everything she said is true. So, yeah. And even the title of your book, Only Say Good Things, that was something that Hefner more or less drilled into you, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He put me on the board of his foundation and he made me promise to only say good things about him after he was gone. And um, I made that promise and kept it for five years until I felt it was time to tell the truth. And you didn't, he didn't, at no point did he ask you to sign a non-disclosure agreement at all? No. Would you have, would you have signed one? Probably. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, I guess I'm, you know, I guess it's just amazing that you had the courage to come to come forward like this because, you know, I mean, a lot of people would have said, and I guess some people still say that, you know, you had a great ride, you had a fun life, but at the cost of, at the cost of what? I mean, it's like yeah. your own personal personal identity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely lost myself, but um, yeah, it's taken me a while to find myself again. You have children now? No, no children. No children yet? That's it. Not yet. Would you want, would you love to have children? Yeah, maybe one day. I think that would be nice. I would be, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. And um, I get, how hard is it now doing interviews like this? Um, I think, you know, I'm finally using my voice and I'm finally becoming more confident. So I think interviews and talking about it helps. Well, Crystal Hefner, I thank you for being here. The book is called Only Say Good Things, Surviving Playboy and Finding Myself. Crystal Hefner is the author. I want to thank you again for being on Lights, Camera Author today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.